I just found out, or I was just reminded that I'm singing in the show, an Italian song. Ooh, I didn't know you could sing. Can I can. Sing? Yes. Wow. Oh, the questions you could ask me. We should just get started with this episode of The Women Your Mother Warned You About, brought to you by Sales Gravy. I'm Gina Tremarco, Master Sales Trainer and Coach at Sales Gravy, with my cheeky co-host, Susanna Gray-Jones. <laughs> I just like saying the word cheeky. You do. You keep calling me cheeky. I like it. I like it. You are a little cheeky. Yeah. Yeah. And saucy. And saucy. Okay. Let's talk about this for a second because your saucy is my sassy. Because I really, truly believed you were saying the American sassy. Well, you are saying sassy, but it sounds like saucy to me. As in like, as in sauce that we put on pasta. So after our last podcast, I actually looked online to see what the difference is between sassy and saucy. (laughs) And me being English thought they were the same. I just thought you Americans had a really cool like accent. So you were saying, hey, it's so sassy when I'm saying saucy. Um, (laughs) But they are actually different. So according to this online, okay, so it says saucy is a smart remark. Sassy is attitude. So you can be teaching a class something and a student will correct you. He's being saucy. But if I call your sister annoying and she goes, I know you are, but what am I? She's being sassy. So (laughs) there we are. Now we know. Inquiring minds wanted to know the difference between saucy and sassy and we are a little bit of both absolutely so i understand that today you've got some questions for me i do i have some questions for you based on what some of our listeners have shown some interest in oh boy i'm interested in (laughs) okay so for those people who listen to our podcast who don't realize gina and i have done some co-coaching together and i've been a witness to someone saying to Gina, Gina, you're so confident. I want to be more like you. And then Gina's answer has been, well, no, actually what you're saying is you want to be more like you. And I want to explore that a bit because I genuinely think having a little daughter who's about three years old and all she wants to do is be a princess as they do. I'm really interested in this whole self-discovery thing, um, which has been a bit of a journey for me, but seems to come very naturally to you. So my question for you is, how did Gina become comfortable being Gina? And what advice do you have to other people Oof. to feel more comfortable in themselves? So this is a interview. This is a interview Gina show. <laughs> I'm, I'm OK with that. I'm good with that. Um, you know, it does come up a lot, that question or that comment. Um, and, you know, when Suzanne is talking about his co-coaching, um, I oversee the coaching program at Sales Gravy. And so part of that is me helping other coaches get onboarded and um, onboarded in our way of, of coaching. And so that's what she's talking about with the, with the co-coaching. But this has come up several times where people reach out to me directly and say, hey, I want to coach with you. What does that look like? You're so confident. And when I'm asking things like, you know, what do you want to get out of this coaching? And that comes up a lot. Confidence is an issue that comes up so often with salespeople. 
in our coaching, in our training, in general. And where did I get it from? It's a really good question. I think where I, I think it's a combination. I think it's a combination of how I was raised and a combination of that with being open to learning, but more specifically being open to failing. And then you add the third part of that component would be probably my improv and performance background. I think it is a recipe of all of that. So Mm. you want me to, you want me to dive in to that kind of unpack that a little bit? I'm keen to know, was there ever a point where a sort of turning point, did you ever go into situations and feel, I don't know who I am. I'm lost. I need to feel some sense of reassurance. (laughs) My my whole life. (laughs) I mean, I mean, I think that's a, I think that's a natural thing. I think we all feel that way. And some of us wear it differently. So would you say in an element, you're always on stage? Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm always on stage and there's a side of me. I think that and some people would be surprised by this. There's a side of me that people don't know that I don't show. And it's not about not being authentic about it, but there are things about myself that I don't show. And I do believe that we are always, always on stage. People are always watching us, even when we're not aware that they're watching us, they're watching us. And so there's a, you know, I think I carry myself with this attitude of someone's always watching, but sometimes I forget because I'm human. Sometimes I forget that people are watching and I screw up and I make mistakes. And a part of that is owning up to it when it's brought to your attention, especially. And sometimes you make mistakes and don't know it. And it mm. gets brought to your attention. <laughs> and um, Your blind you, spot. I like to think of that as your blind spot. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to own that too. So yeah, yeah I'm, I, I believe I'm always on stage and people look up to us for different reasons. And I don't know when I... I probably figured that out in the last maybe 10 years. It, it really hit me that people are always watching, no matter what level of success you're at or failure, somebody's watching you. Somebody's looking up to you or somebody's looking down on yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I spend quite a lot of time getting ready in the morning. And I remember my sister saying to me once, stop caring about what other people think. Just go out and be yourself. Don't spend ages on your makeup. And I used to, I used to joke, well, you never know. I might meet Prince William. You know, I'm, I'm in London. I might meet, meet Prince William. I might be the next uh, queen. <laughs> Didn't happen. But anyway, I thought it could. And ultimately, you never know who you're going to meet. This morning, I'm in a coffee shop and somebody calls me and says, I want to work with your company where are you? And I'm like, I'm 10 minutes away. He's like, come to my office now. So I got into the car, went to his office. Luckily, I look presentable. You can just never anticipate any kind of situation, can you? But I think I think coming back, I thought what, what you said was really interesting. You said over the last 10 years, you started to feel more comfortable in yourself. Were there any kind of inner truths that you had to kind of confront to get to that point? Yeah, I think the thing that comes to mind, like as a trigger for me, of like when that started to gel, is uh, someone gave me this piece of advice. Um, I think of her as my surrogate mom. Her name, her name is Mary Lou, and 
Yeah, I'm from a big city. I'm from Chicago and I relocated to a small town in the South. I don't want to say small. I mean, it's kind of small. I mean, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, the median population is 30,000 or 35,000 and the county population is probably half a million. So that's small in comparison to a city like Chicago and small enough that everything is like six degrees of Gina Tremarco. Like everybody seems to know everybody in some way, shape or form. So there's a lot of, how do I say this? There can be pettiness and conversations behind your back, people talking about you. Um, You're always going to have that, but it's more noticeable in a smaller ecosystem, right? So there was someone who was just talking smack about me and it, it really hurt me and affected me because it was someone I actually looked up to as a role model. And it was someone I had gone to advice for um, living in this new community. And, and she ended up just smack talking me a lot. And it really, really hurt my feelings. And I'm super sensitive. And I don't think there, that's another thing. I think a lot of people don't realize how extremely sensitive I am. And uh, so Mary Lou said to me, it is none of your business what other people think about you. Mm. And I had to just sit in it. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, what do you mean? It's no, it's none of your business. It's not your place to be thinking about it, wondering about it, dealing with it's not. That's their opinion. That's their perception. That's their right to feel that way. And it's not your place to question it. That's them. That's on them. And so that was like probably the first step for me in putting myself in that mindset constantly. Now, this is not like a, oh my gosh, that solved that problem. I still suffer with worrying about what people think. Like, it's just, it's just, I think, natural and human, but you have to switch your mindset and be like, you know what, that's on them. That's their perception. That's fine. And I think that's really come to serve me when it comes to business and sales and ideal clients, right? Like I'm not everybody's cup of tea. I'm just not. And that's okay. Yeah. And I think that's really important because we do put ourselves out there um, as salespeople. And we're aware about the reptile brain. We're aware that being rejected is not nice. But I think once you get over that and you recognize it, you can really start to pick that up. What would you say to salespeople who are struggling with that sense of self? And we had one listener saying that she sat in an office every day and she really struggles just to have that confidence to fail in front of other people. I have a couple things to say about this. And this reminds me to transcribe this episode because these are the things that probably should go in the book that I probably should finish. Um, There's a couple things. One thing that I've coached people on over the years, especially women entrepreneurs, because my coaching started with, with women entrepreneurs, women business mm. owners. The, the, the quickest way to get to confidence is trying things and failing and getting up again and doing it again and doing it again and doing it again. That, that would be number one. Number two, be open to, to listening to what people have to say to you that's positive. right? When, when someone gives us a compliment, and I, I think we struggle with this as women more than men do. And I'm not trying to make it a man woman thing, but this is my opinion. We get a compliment and we're like, Oh no, 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 don't no, no. Like when someone's like, you look good today. Oh no, I know that. No, I just wrote that. Right? We have a hard time of accepting the compliment and just saying, thank you. Now 
tangent on this, I remember this as a child, which I forgot to mention the whole childlike mindset of confidence. I remember as a child, one of my cousins saying to me, you've got the prettiest eyelashes. Now I've got really long eyelashes, but as a child, obviously they were super long. And I'm, and I, and I said, I know as precocious as like, I know. And interestingly, I got to remember this story because this is so much about childlike that adult said to me, um, you shouldn't say that you should just say, thank you. I was like, it was squashing me going, I believe in myself that yes, I do have pretty eyelashes, but I was like being told I was being schooled. Don't be that way. Be proper and say, thank you. Yeah. So that's a fine line to balance of like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. With thank you. Blending those two and then completely getting away from, oh, no, 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 that's not true. (laughs) That's very English. We're very self-effacing. Yeah. So those, those, yeah, those would be two things. Um, You've got to put yourself out there and try and be vulnerable and be willing to make mistakes because someone is actually looking to you to do that. And you're actually inspiring someone else without knowing it. So if you have this attitude of like, I'm failing for the purpose of other people succeeding. Ooh, I just came up with that. I'm failing for the purpose of other people succeeding. Something happened last week. Right, and, right. and I um, write that one down so I remember it. I, something happened last week that was a repetitive situation that I'm dealing with at work. And um, that was frustrating me. And I put in it in an email of like, here's what's going on with this situation. I'm just getting everybody up to speed on it. It's something called technology. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I signed it, your favorite big mouth. And so one of our colleagues messaged me back with like, hey, big mouth. And I, I, I owned it because I'm often the squeaky wheel troublemaker sometimes. I think I'm perceived that way. Let me put it that way. Because I voice my opinion and my thought or I share information that others are afraid to share. Mm. Does that make sense? Where I'm like, wait, why, why, why is not everybody sharing this information that this is something that needs to be a you know, fixed or taken care of or improved. You speak out. I speak out um, because I, I, I don't have bad intentions ever. I always have good intentions to move things forward, to make things better. And the only way you can do that is sometimes to speak out, because if you're too afraid to speak out, change isn't going to happen. Mm, exactly. And I think sometimes it's, it's like in school, the, the kid who puts their hand up the most to say that there's a problem is often seen as the problem kid. Yeah. Were you the problem kid at school? Do you know? <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah, I was. The, I was that kid that, um, you know, there's a meme on this on social media. I was that kid who, you know, on every report card or every parent teacher conference, it's like, Gina's very smart. But she talks a lot. I was that I was that kid, right? I was that kid at the at, at the back of the room. So I think there's a piece of that that um, I, I do believe is genetic, mm. um, especially all the research that I, I have done recently on creativity and the fact that children are, are born geniuses. And by age five, you know, they're 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 98 percent genius. But by age um, by age 15, they're 12 percent creative genius. 
And so much comes from our, our childhood, I think. And it, it's interesting what you're saying about, you know, you, that, that was there when you were very young. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you feel that you said in the last 10 years, you've changed a lot, but do you feel like there was always a bit of Gina that you say loud mouth, but had <laughs> a lot to say? <laughs> well, yeah, 100%. 100%. That, that, that Gina was always there. And I think... Yeah you know, as an adult being seen maybe as a loud mouth or as a rebel rouser or someone who stirs the pot. I know I'm using all these different idioms that maybe will not translate overseas, but I think part of that comes from the fact that I have been able to hold on to some childlike ways. And I'm saying childlike, not childish. I want to be really clear. And this comes from, this came to my attention at about age. 19 or 20, when I was studying at Second City in Chicago in improv and going to college simultaneously, I was the youngest one in my improv classes. And my, one of my teachers had said to me, you are so childlike on stage. Never lose that. Interesting. And I think because, um, I, I think, you know, being the youngest one in the class, right. We, we do know from studies that the younger you are, the more creative you are, the more playful you are, the more open you are to imagination and failing, right? The younger you are, the better you are at that. So I think that's what he meant is that I got on stage and I had no inhibition, right? I just tried things. I did things. Um, At that age as well, being kind of like the young vampy girl um, who was much thinner at that time too, I mean, I still find myself sexy, but I was like, I was the girl that they would cast into like the bimbo role for everything. <laughs> like, let's put her in the, you know, the trampy, vampy bimbo girl. And in the beginning, it would irritate me. I'm like, can they not see past this? And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to embrace the role. And so what would end up happening is that my little tiny role or anybody who's been in theater understand my little tiny role would end up upstaging everybody because I would play that role as big and bad as I could, where it became center of attention. I'm like, yeah, don't put baby in the corner. Right. And I, and I, I continued that um, theater's always been in my blood on, on the side as a side hustle or a side, you know, side. Well, I mean, I don't, I owned a theater for 12 years too, but I just learned to, if someone's not going to recognize my fullest potential, only I can do that. Yeah. And that's so true. I, one thing that I always think is we have a sense of self, who we want to be. So for me, I like to be a kind and compassionate person, mm-hmm. but I also want to be popular. Okay. I, I think a lot of us want to be popular. Yeah. And part of being popular, wanna sometimes. Be popular. Oh, sorry. Popular. You're going <laughs> to be popular. Um, but part of being popular sometimes means <laughs> doing things that you think people want you to do and mm. to be liked, opposed to who you yeah. actually are. And that's something I, I struggled with myself. I mean, I grew up with um, having strong dyslexia and dyspraxia and you know, I was this blonde girl who would be quite clumsy. And they used to compare me to Legally Blonde, the girl who uh, would always be tripping over and mm-hmm. saying really dumb things the first thing in my head. And I remember because um, I, I got into Cambridge University and a girl turned to me and she said, Suze, what are you doing here? And I was like, 
I go here in their legally blonde <laughs> way. And she just didn't believe me because I was the kid who struggled with learning disabilities and things like that. But what she didn't understand, I also had to try that bit harder to do well at school. I had to, people saw me struggling, but actually I was working a lot harder than they were. I was like that duck, just paddling, paddling, paddling. Yeah. Yeah. And I think at some point, I used to hide and just not tell anyone that I had this learning disability. At one point, I just thought, thought, you know what, I'm just going to tell people. And it made me so much more confident in myself. I didn't feel I had to fit into this box that everyone else has to. And I've noticed that about you a lot since I've known you. You expose your vulnerabilities, even in even when it comes to pitches and presentations. You know, you're very open, and that makes people relate to you a lot more. You're you expose yourself in, in ways that maybe other people don't. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's fair? Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And here's some words from our sponsor, Jeb Blunt at Sales Gravy. Hi, this is Jeb Blunt. There's a reason why thousands of sales professionals and top companies across the globe honed their sales skills at Sales Gravy University. You see, SalesGravy University is different than most learning platforms. First, we have live courses taught in a virtual classroom by our master trainers that start almost every single day. And our e-learning platform is populated with hundreds of hours of sales training content produced by some of the top sales trainers in the world, including Gina's spontaneous selling course, which is worth checking out. Now, I've got some good news. If you've never taken a course on SalesGravy University, if you're a new user, you can take your very first course for free. That's any course on the platform, absolutely free. Just go to learn.salesgravy.com. That's learn.salesgravy.com or click the e-learning tab in the top menu at salesgravy.com, pick out your course, and when you check out, use coupon code FREECOURSE to get that course for free. That is free course to get your very first course for free. And do you think that's why you have been successful? Because you've got peace with, has there been any part of you that's thought, you know what, I actually don't like who I am right now and I want to be more like someone else? No. No. You know, I I never feel like I want to be like somebody else. Um, I always feel like I want to be a better version of me. And how do you know what a better version of you looks like? Well, I don't think we're ever the best. I mean, I just don't. I mean, I, maybe that's a bad thing. It's sort of like mastery. Can we ever really truly master anything? We know it takes 10,000 hours to master something, but have we ever fully mastered or been fully the best? Because if you get to that point of full mastery or, or, or being the best, you have nothing else to aspire for. So I, I just think that we can always be a better version of ourselves. So there's definitely things that I wish I was better at Mm. that I'm constantly saying, all right, let's try to get better at that. Yes. And I think a lot of it comes down to forgiving ourselves as well, because we always, we talk about the reptile brain, we react in ways that we're not proud of. We can always think of, okay, I might've had a bit to drink that night and said something I shouldn't have said. (laughs) We've all been there. Uh And a lot of people get really angry with themselves or that guy who broke up with them and they think, oh man, you know what? I'm so embarrassing. Why did I text him? Why did I act like that? Sometimes it's just having peace that we are human. We are going to fail. And there are always going to be people who dislike you no matter how hard you try. So the harder always, you try, always. the less authentic you'll be. So 
always, and, and this is also a leadership thing I've seen over the years, having been a leader managing teams, um, probably had to manage the most, but 50 people. And I learned this early on, like in my, in my management career that people are not going to like me no matter what. Right. And that's, I think, a struggle for leaders, right? You're, you're trying to do all the right things, especially if you have some level of empathy in you, which you need to be emotionally intelligent. Even the most emotional, intelligent, empathetic leader struggles because someone is going to criticize. Someone is not going to be happy with it. And you have to build up this veneer and resilience that I cannot please everybody. And there is a, even as trainers, right? Like trainers and coaches, um, even as salespeople, not like I said earlier, you're not everybody's cup of tea. Like someone might in, like, like my training um, and someone might not. Right. Someone might prefer you as a coach over me as a coach because there's just something about me that might not resonate or something about you that might not resonate. And you're just never, ever going to please people, I don't think, 100%. So I, I think we have to constantly be in the mindset of of perfecting who we are and what we do to be kind of in that winner mindset, which makes you an ultimate, you know, an ultra performer in anything that you're doing. And be willing, see failure as an opportunity to like find other solutions, create new things. Like sometimes I fail on purpose. Like sometimes I try things because I just want to see if it's possible. So one thing I've noticed about you is, she's probably going to take this out of the recording now because we're getting, oh, we're getting deep here. Here we go. You, you're very conscious about impressing your leader, your manager. That's something that's very inbuilt in you. You want to, you're, you're, would you say you're a people pleaser? <sighs> I'm definitely a people. this now. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're gonna, no, I'm definitely a, a people pleaser, but I think there's actually something deeper about it. Um, mm. And the reason why I, I say that is because I'm a huge advocate and fan of therapy. Mm-hmm. And I think that we all could use it and to be better. Like, how do we, like, I'm always digging in of like, where are my weaknesses? Why do I behave the way I do in certain situations? Like I'm huge into triggers. What are your triggers that cause you to do things? And the one thing that I've learned over the years is that um, I'm very much a daddy's girl. So you Mm -hmm. can call it like daddy issues or whatever you want to call it. But the way I was raised Um, which made me a high achiever is that my dad gave me a lot of freedom to do things and to try things, Mm -hmm. Um, which is kind of interesting because he was so old fashioned Italian, which is just weird because he, you know, when I said I wanted to go to college, he said, why you're just going to get married and have children. And I'm like, what if I marry a loser? And he's like, good point. I don't even know why I would think that way at, at that age, but I did. The point is, is that my dad gave me a lot of freedom to try things and to do things. And, you know, he had me working in flea markets at age 10. Uh, he supported me trying everything and anything I wanted to try. And he rewarded me with, he rewarded me with freedom mm-hmm. to do what I wanted to do and to be what I wanted to be. So the better my grades, the more freedom. Were you uh, given a lot of praise? Um. Not, not directly, right? Not directly. I just know that when he was pleased, he would, look, <laughs> he's kind of, it's so funny. I, I found, I really learned how 
how much my dad uh, adored me, so to speak, after he after he died, like because his friends would tell me things and his friends would be like, oh, how's that internship at ABC and how's this and how's that? And I'm like, how did they know all of this? And apparently, you know, he talked about me a lot. Um, He didn't necessarily directly praise me. So what I've learned is I don't need direct praise because I didn't get direct praise. I just got freedom to be and freedom to do. And um, on the occasional, um, occasionally you would hear him brag about me um, and brag about me over my brother, which created all kinds of tension in that family world. But he, he, he kind of put me on a pedestal. Really? Yeah. Like Gina could do no wrong kind of pedestal. Not direct praise, but again, a lot of freedom and it came back, it came back indirectly, right? Other mm-hmm. people would tell me the things he said about me, if that makes sense. I mean, that the praise would come indirectly. So I didn't oh. necessarily need, I, I guess that that shaped me from childhood that as a person, I don't need direct praise. I understand. Yeah. Right. I don't need direct praise. I, I but I need you to trust me that I'm going to, I'm going to achieve and make you happy. Mm. So one thing that I think makes you stand out as a salesperson, um, having observed you, is you were extremely disciplined, extremely disciplined. And a lot of... (laughs) Am I? Do tell, because I don't think so, but go on. I think, you know, you're on on track for President's Club here at Sales Gravy. And I think one thing that you you often say is, I'm very busy, you're working very hard. Um, And a lot of listeners in the UK who I've been speaking to have been speaking about the challenge of working from home, motivating yourself. And Gina Tramarco is a motivated person. Is that true? Would you say? And what, yeah. what, what keeps you working hard? What keeps you disciplined? Because you, you're not micromanaged here at Sales Gravy. You make your own money. Um, you can do as little or as much as you want. What's Gina's motivator? Um, I got a couple motivators. I, I don't think I don't think there's any one motivator. I, I think you have to have a combination of intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. Um, I like money. <laughs> That's a motivator. I, I mean, it, I like money because I like to take care of myself, support myself. It's always been who I am. It's in my DNA. It's it's part of me. It's how I was raised. Uh, so that's a motivator. I'm on my own, right? Mm-hmm. Like out of a divorce, it's been, you know, a little over a year that I've been divorced. Um, there is something, you know, scary about that when you're getting out of a marriage because, you know, you're in a marriage and sometimes you feel like there's a, a comfort mm-hmm. or a, a net that you have together with someone. Not true, by the way, in all cases. Uh, so I think, you know, I'm motivated by being able to support myself, take care of myself, uh, but also be able to take care of the people in my life that are important to me. And then I'm, I'm motivated um, intrinsically by competing with myself. Like I, I love to compete with myself to see if I can do something like, let me see if I could close that deal. Let me see if I could go after that. Let me see if I can create this as a solution. You know, I was messaging you over the weekend about some ideas I have um, for our coaching program. I'm like, let me just try this idea. So I'm, I'm motivated by the win. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I love that. And do you have like daily habits that you stick to like rituals? 
I do. I do have a couple of them. Um, sometimes they get a little bit out of whack and they're not, you know, perfectly consistent. But a couple of my rituals have been, you know, when I get up in the morning, I, I, I journal a little bit, right? So let's mm-hmm. I journal a little bit, meaning I write down things I'm grateful for. Mm-hmm. I write down things I did well the day before. And I write down things that I want, things that I desire, my goals. So it's like, it's, it's a, it's a, it's called the Trinity. So it's three gratitudes, three props, so to say, prop yourself up and then three desires. Right. So I write those three things down every day. And that gives me perspective on when I may be feeling down about something, I'm like, all right, just be grateful for this piece of it. And it helps me turn things around because we know, we teach us at Sales Gravy, the negativity bias. Like we just, as humans, we're wired to go negative and we just go there. And so the, the gratitudes and the props help me get out of negativity. Yes. And I think that's why what we're talking about is so important, like knowing yourself. Um, and that mindset, if you don't know your stuff, you're not going to know how to change your mindset. You're not going to face the truth. Yes. Um, and you're not going to be able to explore them. And sometimes the truth is ugly. You know, I had to admit the dyspraxia. I had to admit the dyslexia yeah. Um, yeah. before I could move on from that. In the same way that um, <laughs> my boyfriend, my husband even, he's my husband now, <laughs> um, on our first date, he said to me, oh, you know, he, he mentioned something because he's, he's got scarring on his face because he's had acne scars. And he mentioned something about it and brought it to the surface. And that kind of got over that kind of awkwardness of it, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. sometimes we just yeah. expose them and they're on the table and we feel a lot better about it. Yeah. And, but we're getting very deep and personal now. I've actually, I've got a really curious question for you. So I am guest or auditioning co-host on your awesome podcast. I want to know why is Gina a woman that my mother warned me about? Oh, wow. Okay. I've never been asked. I don't think you've ever asked this question. I think our listeners need to know. (laughs) Um, Why is Gina a woman your mother warns you about? Um, I think because I go against the grain of what we think we should be. Right. We've Mm. we have been raised and conditioned, um, you know, probably more so from an English perspective of, how to be proper, how to do what's expected of us, how to actually how to stay in status quo, do what everybody else is doing. Don't, don't shake things up. Don't rattle things. Just be quiet. Do the, do the things that are expected. And that's just never been me. Mm. And I think it's because I had a father who encouraged me to be precocious. And interestingly enough, my mother was completely the opposite of that. So I had a horrible relationship with my mother who hated that about me, but my father loved that about me. Yeah. So I, I, I mean, a woman, your, what makes me a woman, your mother warns you about is that I, I do things that I want the way I want to do them. I do things outside of the box. I do things that might stir people up a little bit. Um, sometimes on purpose mm-hmm. and sometimes completely accidental. Watch out. Watch out. <laughs> Sometimes intimidated by you. <laughs> What's that? You think you're intimidating? Uh, yes. I've been told that. Um, so I've had to embrace that because when I first heard that, it, it bothered me and upset me because I was like, no, I want everybody to love me. 
Uh, but, but the, you know, if that's how people perceive you, that's their perception that goes back to that's their perception. And it's none of my business that that's their perception. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not coachable on how to be a little bit better, meaning this, this came up early on with sales gravy. Um, one of our colleagues had said something to me about my emails being kind of short and curt. And I'm like, well, they're just, they're, it's direct and to the point. It's email. Like, I don't have time to send you a fluffy, lovey-dovey email. Mm. Like, e- like this is for, and I believe email is for like quick communications. Sometimes you have to put some additional stuff in there. Um, but I can be warm and fuzzy in a conversation. I get that 100%. Um, and you are quite quick and straight to the point in your emails and your messages. And I've been accused of that as well. And I think it can be the danger of email. And that's why I always say to people, just pick up the phone, just pick up the phone. Oh, oh, 100%. There, there, there are many things that need conversation and should never happen in an email. And people still do that. Again, get to the point um, in that kind of communication because people are busy. But, But going back to the intimidating piece of it. I, I want to elaborate a little bit on that too, because I think when we intimidate someone, that's their problem, not ours. Mm. Why, why are you intimidated? Especially if I didn't do anything intentional, right? Sometimes the word intimidation can uh, be perceived as bullying along those lines, right? Like I'm not, I'm not in, trying to intimidate you. We own our emotions. We own our feelings. So nobody can make you feel anything. Nobody can make you feel intimidated. Nobody can make you feel happy. Nobody can make you feel sad. Even with my significant other, you know, back in the day, I might've said, oh, you make me so happy. But no, no, right? Like I've I've actually recalibrated that. I'm like, you do things that make me happy. Yes. Yes. No, I love that. I feel, I feel happy when you do those things. Mm, mm. Yeah. Good or bad. You know, I feel this, I feel sad when you do that because, oh my gosh, I'm going into like framework, right? This is like ingrained, right? I, I feel this way when you do that because, right. And a lot of times I own up and go, because I've got this trigger, because that reminds me of something in my past. It's not you. It's my problem. I just said this to him last week. I'm like, it's my problem. I just need you to know I'm, I'm struggling through this issue right now. You need to be aware of it, but it's my problem to solve. Yes. You're taking ownership of your reactions, basically. Yeah. You're not yeah. putting it on that other person. Yeah. So if you're intimidated by me, shame on you. Yeah. Well, I'm not intimidated by you. <laughs> I think um, I think if people were to look at us, I um, I once I won't go into the whole story, but I once auditioned to go on The Apprentice. Do you guys have The Apprentice in the? Market? Oh my gosh, yes. So I got through to the final sixty, which was great. Uh, I was a bit younger than what I am now, probably about seven years ago, and they got me on camera and they said, "Okay, Susanna, what's different about you?" And I said, I think of a song in every kind of situation. And they said, okay, so what song are you thinking now? And I thought, what do they want to hear? So I started dancing and singing, I'm a survivor, I'm gonna make it. <laughs> and the guy literally looked at me like, no. And I knew I'd completely, because I was trying, I was trying to be on show. I was trying to do what I thought they wanted me to do. 
And ah. it, it was an epic fail. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm glad I didn't get on the program anyway. Um, no offense to anyone who's on the program, but essentially it wasn't my, it wasn't my path. But I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great example of when we are trying to be something that we're not. And we, we all do it sometimes when we're in situations that we're uncomfortable of. But they said, they described me as an angelic assassin. And I think when people look at me, they see, oh, she looks very sweet. She's very English. She's very proper. But there's a cutting edge. Whereas I think when they see Gina, they see more of a feisty, a feisty being. Um, And that's not a bad thing. You know, there's part of me that that wishes that I I was seen as more feisty and it wasn't just in here. But, you know, we we see people how we see people, don't we? And I'm happy being an angelic assassin. If that's what if that's what they name me. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes it doesn't serve me to be the feisty looking one. Sometimes. and it and it's it's a struggle and um slightly irritating because at any moment I could change that and be like, all right, Gina, be proper, don't be feisty, be status quo, be quiet. Like I could I could do that. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think people would see through it and and I would eventually struggle. And I'll I'll tell this one last story because it's time for us to wrap up. Um, because of course I have to go on a sales call. Several years ago. I'm trying to, I'm trying, I'm not sure if we were married or I was just with my ex-husband. I was with him for 19 years total. Well, 18, because wow. I had to, well, I had to separate. Yeah. I, we have to, in order to get divorced in South Carolina, it's a long process. So he had insecurities and I think intimidation, was intimidated in somewhere. It's just insecurities. I know I'm, I'm actually putting this out on air, but he doesn't listen to the show. He had said he would get really irritated with me in a small community where I owned an improv comedy theater and people knew me and I was very and still am very involved in the community. So I'm known. Um, My best friend jokes about this. Like he has stickers made that say, I know Gina. Um, He's now made new stickers that say Gina knows me. Like it's just silly. But my husband would get so irritated when people would come up to me in public places and be like, oh my God, Gina, 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 Gina. Like no matter where we go, people know me somewhere. And it would drive him crazy. And he would say, and he owns, and he owns a business too. We we're both business owners in the community. And he'd say, and he'd roll his eyes and he'd say, um, can you stop talking about yourself all the time? Ooh. And I'm like, um, and I took it, you know, I, did, I took a step back of like, am I doing that? And somebody else in our lives made, uh, supported his comment on that, which really upset me. And that, cause I said, well, what is your advice and suggestions? I'm coachable. I'm like, people come up to me and go, hey, Gina, they recognize me. They start asking me questions like, what's going on with the theater? And at least I'm present on social media. I'm like, what do you want me to say? What should I do in that situation? I'm not, I'm not sh- walking into a room and being like, hey, I'm here. Like, I'm not doing that. And, and people have told yeah. me this, over, like, I hear it all the time. You have a presence when you show up. You walk in the room and you have a presence without even speaking, right? There are people that have that. I'm not making a stink. I just walk in and people show up next to me wanting to talk to me. So he said, well, you could change the conversation and reroute it to me and start talking about me and saying, oh, do you know my husband, so-and-so who owns such and such? Did you introduce him? Did you say, oh, this is my husband or? 
uh, usually, but I mean, like if someone comes up to you and you're in a conversation, you're not going to be like, oh, yeah, hi, here's my husband. Like, like you have yes. to transition organically into that, right? Like, I, yes. I know how to do this. It's called networking, right? So I said, okay, all right, I, I hear you. And being a more traditional, a little more conservative, another thing that would surprise people person, especially in a relationship, I'm like, that is going to make my husband happy. That's what I'm going to do. So I started switching to that concept of someone coming up to me, knowing me, da, 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 and I'd be like, oh, and I, and I did that thing I didn't want to do of like, oh, yeah, hey, do you know my husband? And I would just go into that every single time and put him in the spotlight, pull myself back and shut up like a demure little girl. Yes. And it yes. was painful. Not because I needed the spotlight. I felt like I was being so fake. Have you ever seen the film The Holiday? I don't think so. So the guy says to Kate Winslet at one point, he says, you're being the girl's best friend, but you need to start being the leading lady. I feel like maybe your ex-husband thought that he was a leading, the leading actor, and he didn't want to be the best friend in that scenario. Yeah. So maybe that was where there was a conflict. I don't know. I mean, I don't know anything about your, your relationship, but maybe, maybe that was where there was a, a conflict in characters. So the, the point is, the point to that is, you cannot try to be someone you're not to make someone else happy because of their own insecurities. You can't. And so that's why it's so important to be aligned with a person who supports you exactly as you are or buys into you exactly as you are, whether this is personal or professional. This is why it's so important to be aligned with who's the right client for you and who's the right vendor, right? Um, this is why it's so important to be aligned with who is the right um, significant other for you. There's got to be that alignment yes. of unconditional love and likability. Absolutely. You've got to love yourself before you fall in love, but you've got to love yourself before you close that deal. I've got one final question for okay. you. If someone was to play Gina Tramarco in a film, who would it be? Um, I, you know, I've, got, I've had this question before and it's the same answer because I don't think I have a new answer. And it would be probably Marissa Tomei. Interesting. Why? Mm -hmm. I don't know. The Italian features, um, I've, you know, some of her past characters maybe I resonate with. Um, although recently someone posted a video of, because I'm, I'm in a show right now and, and in rehearsals for a show, somebody recently posted a video, actually my co-director posted a video of Sophia Loren dancing. I have to repost it. And the commentary was like, this was Gina Tremarco last night at rehearsal, running rehearsal of like, cause like I've never seen Sophia Loren in that scenario where she's like literally shimming her shoulders all around the room. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that is so me. So me. So if Sophia Loren could play me, that would be another, maybe her. Yeah. Love it. Love it. I can't wait. When's the movie out? Gina Tremarco, the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll have to ask my agent and get, and get back to you. Um, I hope this answered some of your questions. It did. Do you know what? Have you ever been in this situation before on a podcast where someone's actually been asking you questions? Because I think it's interesting. We see a softer, softer side to Gina today. And mm -hmm. I think it's very fascinating. I, I often notice you try and glaze over questions when I fire them back at you. So I was determined on this episode to get a bit into the history of Gina Tramarco. Do you feel, do you feel good about what you got? 
I've got more to get out of you, but we've got more time. So another episode, another episode. Well, maybe another episode and maybe we'll dig into more about you on the next episode. That's what I'm thinking. Sassy and classy. Sassy and classy. Hey, Warners, we got to get out of here because I've got a sales call to be on. Uh, and I'm sure Susanna does too. So thank you, Susanna, for this um, gentle interrogation. No problem. To learn more about me, to learn more about our show, go to womenyourmotherwarnsyouabout.com. Uh, you won't see Susanna there quite yet, but I'm, I'm working on that. I'm a little bit behind. One of my things I'm working on on the website and uh, find us on all the socials and of course, salesgravy.com. You can find both Susanna and I on that website. And hey, check out salesgravy.university. That is the place to be to take your sales game to the next level. So check that out. Thanks to Sales Gravy for sponsoring this podcast. We are so grateful to Jeb and Sales Gravy for that. But we got to go. So um, what is a good way to say goodbye to people in the UK? Like, is there a popular phrase? Well, my three-year-old was um, waving to us on this merry-go-round the other day and she went, farewell, farewell. (laughs) (laughs) It was hilarious. Well, I'm going to say goodbye. Doing your English accent. (laughs) And uh, farewell, (laughs) farewell. We're out of here. Okay. (laughs) That was Cheerio. (laughs) Bye-bye. Great English accent, Gina. When do I get to do the American uh, the American Ooh. impersonation?